0: All right, if you are here or streaming and you're not like driving while streaming or something, I wanna encourage you to to close your eyes just for a moment (laughs) and to just center your body, to recognize your breathing and to know that you are embodied and that you are present. We're not all present in the same place, but we're present in the same moment. For whatever reason you think you're here, in this moment, theologically you are here in this moment because God has drawn you to this moment. And God has drawn me here. He has prepared me all week for this preaching moment. And I am going to preach on a particular text, but that text, like all biblical texts, are part of a much bigger context, the whole biblical story. And this particular text is right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It is the account of what human flourishing can look like. And right in the middle of that teaching, Jesus gives us his central message. It's literally right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It is the core of the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives us a way to relate to the Father and to one another. And he shows us how to be rightly related to God and to our neighbor. And the way he does that is by introducing us to a prayer. And it's going to be on the screen. And let's start by praying the prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, raise your hand if you've heard that prayer before. Some version of it. Yeah, if if you've heard that prayer before or if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while or at least a church Goer for a while that lord's prayer that we just prayed it runs the risk of becoming familiar And therefore meaningless And for those of you who are new to the scriptures And new to jesus and the lord's prayer. It probably seems kind of archaic and maybe even irrelevant like it's just words that we don't always use but my hope in preaching through this prayer, like you've probably noticed that I'm really taking my time, like six sermons for the six lines of this prayer. My hope is to help those of us who are either super familiar with that prayer or new to that prayer to see the Lord's Prayer not as something to understand cognitively or something to master, but as something to pray as a foundation for our own prayer lives. And each week I'm going to be focusing on a different stanza, a different phrase from the prayer, and I'm going to teach a little bit just to help us understand what Jesus is trying to say, but my whole purpose in doing this series is to help us be more equipped to engage in prayer. That's what I'm about. So to help us uh, engage in the prayer, you're going to see a couple pieces of colored paper in your bulletin, and if you didn't grab one, you can go in the back, they're on the table back there, there's bulletins in there, there's colored pieces of paper, and at the end of each sermon, I'm going to give us an opportunity to write our own prayers on the foundation of the Lord's Prayer that we're learning about that day. So Martin Luther used this metaphor of a garland, so I've got a garland hanging up right here, and he said that each phrase of the Lord's Prayer is like a garland from which you can hang your own prayers, So, for example, the last time we got together and talked about the Lord's Prayer, we focused on the stanza, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we learned all about what that phrase meant, and then we built our own prayer. So I'm going to read a few of your prayers that you submitted into that jar a couple weeks ago. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One of you wrote, Help me to desire your rule to lay down my attempts at control. I want to want what you want, to be transformed, and to be willing to change, and to leave the known and the false comforts and idolatry to myself. Or here's another one. God, give me strength to see others I work with as you see them. Give me patience, humility, and guidance in my teaching and relationships. Or a third example, God, help my heart to want your kingdom to come. So you see how that works? Jesus gives us a phrase, your kingdom come, and then from that, I can say, what does that look like in my life? Maybe I need help even just wanting Jesus' kingdom to come because we have all kind of got our own kingdom things going in our lives, if we're honest. We have our own agendas, and sometimes that means laying down our agendas to follow Jesus. And so at the end of, of this message, you'll have an opportunity to jot down one of your prayers and we'll add it to the garland. And the idea is by the end of this sermon series, we are gonna have a massive prayer written by Letterstreet's Street's Covenant Church based on each phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And I'll type that out for you. Actually, Elizabeth will, and we'll get that to you. And I think that'll be a really cool thing for our church community. Folks at home, of course, you can uh, submit your prayers to info at letterstreetcc.com, which I know is on your screen. You don't need to remember that. All right, so let's set the stage for this next phrase of the prayer. Um, I'll remind you that the whole thing, the whole Lord's Prayer, begins with the incredible grace and intimacy that Jesus invites us to pray to His Father using the words, our Father. He's like, Hey, I want to get you in on this relationship I have going. You can now call the Father your Father. And he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father, the one in the heavens. We are invited to address the God of the universe as our intimate Father. And in that phrase, we're reminded that he is the one in the heavens, which means that he is, on the one hand, completely other than we are holy, set apart, he's other. And the heavens in the ancient world didn't mean like you were far away or in another place, but extremely near, but just in another dimension, close at hand. So God is at the one hand as a father, he's other than we are, and he's close to us. It's intimacy And then we pray that the Father would make His name, that means His character, His glory, His worth, He would make Himself known to the world as He really is, not just how how we invent Him to be in our messed up theologies and our messed up interpretations of the Bible. It's how He really is. And of course, we pray that because we're incapable of doing that perfectly on our own. And then we're invited to pray that the Father's kingdom, that his reign and his way and his ethics and his economy, his rule would come and displace the corrupt powers that are currently in power on earth and that his reign would reign here just as it reigns in heaven. And that's amazing. That's just two stanzas in of six. And we are right now gonna dive into the third one. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now before we can pray this prayer where well we're going to need to hear what it means. So what does God's will mean? First the obvious is that every single phrase in the prayer is underneath this umbrella, this loving umbrella of father. So when we pray the Lord's prayer, we're not addressing the universe or some nameless God, we're not calling out to the void, and we're not just talking to ourselves. We are not on our knees before a merciless dictator who we hope will just make an exception this one time for us because normally he's bad. No, Jesus has invited us into the intimacy he shares with the Father, and we're praying God as our Father. So as we separate the six petitions of prayer in order to focus on them, I'll just remind us that we're addressing the Father in every one the Father who creates and sustains and loves and forgives and judges evil and brings justice, the Father who invites us to come to him. And so grammatically, we could say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, your kingdom come. Father, your will be done. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Father, forgive us. Father, deliver us from the evil one. Father, your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. And what is is the will of the Father that we're praying for? Well, if we just look at the definition of the word will, it comes from this word thalema in the Greek sentence. Thalema, you want to say that? Thalema? Thalema? Thalema, that's the word for will used in this sentence. And it means, among other things, one of the nuances is God's good pleasure, God's deep desire. Father, may your good pleasure be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, may your deep desire be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, what that tells me is whatever else the Father's will is, it is good. That when we pray this prayer, we are praying for something good. Father, may your good pleasure be done. We're praying that the Father's deep desire be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I don't know about you, but just saying that and praying that, Father, may your deep desire be done on earth as it is in heaven, it feels really fuzzy to me. Like, do I just fill in the blank with whatever I think your good pleasure ought to be? Or whatever I think your deep desire ought to be, because I've got ideas, but I'm not quite sure if they're yours or not. So let me give us four more concrete aspects of what I think the Father's will is. Hint: there's probably a lot more than four, but like, how long do you want to be here, right? So I'm going to give us four. And I think these are are just solidly scriptural, contextual, and they're a great starting point for us to build prayers on. So here's the first one. Just always, like, hint when you're studying the Bible, look at the immediate context. Like, what is going on around the passage I'm looking at? It just so happens that in the immediate context of the Lord's Prayer is the Sermon on the Mount. Like, it's literally in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Now, I've been repeating myself for months and I do that a lot according to my kids too, but um, hear me again. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's most concise and comprehensive single teaching on what human flourishing can look like. If Jesus is referring to anything in particular when he invites us to pray that God's will be done, he is at least saying this, Father, May your Sermon on the Mount be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's some of God's will according to the Sermon on the Mount that you could think about in your own life and build a prayer upon. That we would be salt and light. Which means that we would be reflections of God. What did we say last week? God's disco ball reflecting his light and glory and goodness back into the world. That's one of the things that we should be praying about. That we would be adding flavor and culture and bringing words and deeds of the hope of Christ to other people. That we might live lives of reconciliation instead of lives of revenge and anger. That's part of the Sermon on the Mount. That we would see each other as sons and daughters of the living God and not as sex objects to just be used for my own or your own personal desire or fancy. That if married, we would be faithful to our spouses. That we would have integrity. That our word would mean something. That we would live for the glory of the Father and trust our needs to His provision instead of scratching and clawing and fighting to get one up on everyone else. If you want to know what God's will is, spend some time in the Sermon on the Mount. Pray for the ability to live it, because that's the only way you and I are going to be able to live it, is with God's help. And I pray, just so you, in case you feel ashamed, I'll just, I pray that I would want to live it. I don't always want to live the Sermon on the Mount. It sounds like a good thing in theory. I know it's good for the world, but I am a selfish man, and I have problems. (laughs) Does that... Help you relate at all? Okay, so I pray that I would want to want the Sermon on the Mount to take root in my heart. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, now what else might be the will of the Father? What else do we know to be His good pleasure? So this is the second thing. Uh, once again, I'm going to point us to our origins. If I'm a broken record about a lot of things, I hope it's about the love of Jesus and the Gospels, and prayer, and it's always gonna be Genesis, isn't it? Chris is always going back to Genesis. Um, If you wanna get an idea of what God is about, just look at his own initiative when he's not responding to any crisis or evil or corruption. That's a good way to know what a person is about. When they just have free time and everything's going well, like what is their life about? Well, our God happens to be the kind of God who... Create stuff. In the beginning, God creates, and he not only creates life and just says, I'm going to just make something, and like, you guys go for it, but he creates life, and then he creates, or maybe in reverse order, he creates the foundations to sustain life, to see that life flourish He creates the earth and the oceans and the moon for tides and the sun for energy and the possibility of geographic isolation for genetic variation. Amen? Amen. Right? And he designs a sphere on its axis like our globe and it's spinning just so to pave the way for seasons and variation in climate and prevailing currents and the jet stream. He's so smart. And his aim as creator... um, this amazing creator, in the midst of this creation, he sets aside these weird animals, these homo sapiens to have a special role to bear his image in creation. And that means that, I mean, that means a lot of things, actually, and we'll do, we've done a whole series on what it means to bear God's image. But at least it means that we're designed to design. To work with the raw materials of God's creation and to create beauty, and order, and sustainability. When we do God's will, we work for the glory of God and the good of others in all kinds of ways, like engineering, and technology, and medicine, and construction, and conservation, and forestry, and firefighting, and ethics, and politics, and law, and parenting and art, and hospitality, gardening, cooking, leading, following, participating, encouraging, teaching, and learning, sporting, and coaching, and competing, and collaborating. And I was getting really excited, so I better just stop, but like, all kinds of, you guys, Father, will your will be done in human vocation In my life station, Father, may your will be done when the relationship at the center of the universe, that is God, is reflected in my relationship to you and to others and to my work. Amen. 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 What I am trying to say is that from the very beginning, the Father's will can be done, is intended to be done in the most ordinary, everyday essence of what it means to be human. That's incredibly freeing. What part of your ordinary everyday life might you baptize into seeing that as part of God's will? You don't have to leave your life and become like do stuff in a church building to make it holy. I mean, that's such good news. (laughs) Third, if we want to know what it means to pray that the Father's will be done, we can look to the life of Jesus, right? God in the flesh. In Jesus, we see how humans are to relate to the Father, what it looks like to actually do His will. Jesus was in an intimate relationship with the Father, and so to do the Father's will is to be a person of prayer and dependence on God. Jesus lived the will of the Father, so to do the Father's will is to speak the truth in love, even when it's unpopular, to work for the healing of others when it's inconvenient, to have compassion on those on the margins of society, even when it doesn't promote your own social advancement. Those are the things that Jesus did, and that is the will of the Father in action, But if there's one word I think that epitomizes Jesus' example of doing the Father's will, it's this it's obedience. Jesus, who is one third of the relationship at the center of the universe, chose to become flesh and dwell among us. He emptied himself and became one of us. And he became obedient to the Father even to the point of death on a cross. Obedience, obedience. God's will being done means that where my will is in conflict with God's will, I will obey. God's will being done means that when my will is in conflict with God's will, I will obey. God's will might lead us to short-term suffering or even death, but it will always lead to long-term life and glory. And there's a mystery in that statement, there's a mystery in how we see that play out in scripture. Um, But let's consider one special example. The gospels describe Jesus as the lamb who came to take away the sin of the world. Jesus came and was obedient and would die on behalf of us so that we might live. And make no mistake, Jesus wants to save us. He came to save us. He wants to please the Father, but he does not want to be crucified. He does not want to be humiliated and tortured. He does not want to feel the sin, the crushing weight of our sin on his shoulders. Who would want that? And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays to the Father that if there's any other way to let this this path of crucifixion and condemnation pass by. And then he says, after asking for that, he says, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus trusted in God's will, even though it presented him with suffering. And the mystery of this event is that through this suffering and death, the Father produced eternal life and peace. Now here's the good news of this. Jesus' suffering was a one-time event. Jesus submitted to the Father and two things happened. First, he was raised and vindicated. That means he was shown to be right all along. Jesus is now the most exalted being in the universe. He is glorified and reigns and is worthy of all worship for all time. That's a pretty good outcome. Second, we are now set free from sin and death when we trust in him, when we repent, when we follow him. And we now look to glory and trust that despite what happens to us in this life, we will be partakers in his life for eternity. That's fantastic. And this leads us to the fourth aspect of the Father's will. It is made known to us directly from the passage that David read just a few minutes ago, John 6. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, these are the words of Jesus, but to do the will of him who sent me. Okay, you're listening. Here's what Jesus says. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and trusts in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise them up on the last day. That's the will of the Father. God's will is for us to know Jesus. For the world to know jesus to know him and to trust him and to follow him and to be secure as his sons and daughters and children of the father in and through jesus that's the will of god i love that that's the will of god for you and me and every person that we've ever met to be known as sons and daughters of god and secure in christ that's awesome Like, God's God, he can do whatever he wants. He could will, like, I don't know, that we tend his garden and take out his trash or whatever. I don't know what God needs, but like, his will is for our salvation and the salvation of every person we'll ever meet. That's fantastic. It doesn't have to be that way. Like, remember, if you've been at this a long time, following God or reading the Bible or hearing sermons, like, newsflash, God doesn't have to be that good because he's God, he can be however he wants. I'm thankful for that. His will is for us to know Jesus, for the world to know Jesus. The Father's will is for us to be baptized and filled with His Holy Spirit and to partake in the the communion, uh, 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 the community of the church and to live as people in the midst of our neighborhoods and our communities and our cultures, reflecting His goodness and glory in the places where we are. So when we pray, Father, your will be done, we are praying that we and the world would come to know and to trust Jesus. So let me just recap real quick those four aspects of the Father's will. When we pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying nothing less than may your sermon on the mount be done in the world as it is in heaven, may I and other humans live in obedience to G- that Jesus showed the Father on earth. As it is in heaven, may I and other humans know and love and trust Jesus. Now, notice the good news in all of this. God's will is for the flourishing and life and goodness of human beings. Now, our, our Father already knows what we need before we ask Him. That's literally the sentence right before the Lord's Prayer starts. Like, Jesus is about ready to tell us how to pray, and He says, Oh, but your Father already need, knows what you need before you ask Him. That's curious to me. But He also knows that when we engage in asking, in reaching out, in depending on God. It changes us. It shapes our hearts to desire what God believes is most needed, most important, most foundational to human flourishing. Prayer does not twist God's arm into doing something he wouldn't normally do. It's not like he's like, I don't really want you guys to flourish, but if you keep asking, I guess. Quit bugging me. But in a mysterious way, God. God has set up the world and created such, uh, created it in such that we have some responsibility in this. We can establish that the Father wants the outcomes of the Lord's Prayer, and we can derive from Scripture that he's able to bring about those desires, that he can make his will be done, but we can also derive from Scripture that God has chosen to work in and through people, including in and through people's prayers to accomplish his will. So, think of it this way God designed human beings to breathe air. If you are underwater too long or in space, you will die because there's no air there. Can God create beings to live underwater? Well, of course, like there's fish, right? And all kinds of things that can breathe underwater, they have gills and all these different cool adaptations. And can God create beings that don't need a lot of oxygen? Yeah, there's some really cool bacteria that thrive in low-oxygen environments. But humans are made to breathe air. Can God do things without you and me praying about them? Of course. He probably does stuff all the time that you and I will never know about, sustaining all of these things, doing all kinds of things without my prayers and your prayers. But just as humans are made to breathe air, so we are made to change the world and our hearts through prayer, to relate to God, the relationship at the center of the universe, through prayer. For a follower of Jesus, prayer isn't like an extra thing that super spiritual people do. It is the first language of a disciple of Jesus, What a mystery that God's will might not be more fully realized unless we pray. What an invitation to pray knowing that it actually makes a difference. That's that's encouraging to me, because I often wonder. Now, I I mentioned the colored papers in your bulletin and the email address that's gonna be on the screen. Um, Instead of me closing us in prayer right now, let's take the next couple of minutes to write our own contributions to the Lord's Prayer, based on the phrase, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe it's about your own heart bending towards God's will, or maybe it's a prayer that your friends and neighbors and family might come to know Jesus. Maybe it's for human flourishing in the world, but whatever it is, join your voice to the chorus of prayer, and in a few moments when we partake in communion, we can drop those prayers off in the jar at the table.